This program is not censored. Consider yourself warned. Want to advertise on this podcast? Email sponsorshiplollipop at gmail.com. Lights, camera, action. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Table Reads, the podcast where we take scripts that have never been filmed and read them so that you might experience the joy of terrible writing that Hollywood has tried to deny you. Your hosts on this tour of unproduced dreck are Sean McBee and me, Trevor Thompson, who have written enough terrible nonsense together and apart that it should keep this show running forever. Again, it doesn't make sense to say that anymore. (laughs) No, we should probably update the... What did you, you call that? A sweeper? The intro. Yeah. I mean, ideally you want to have Capone doing the intro. Well, yeah. Mr. Iron Man trailer himself. <laughs> Heroes aren't made. They're built. I wonder how he got that fucking job, man. That's like a fucking... Well, what's his name? Isn't alive anymore. The guy that used to do those in a world... Uh, Don LaFontaine. Don LaFontaine, yeah. I had it, like, right on the tip of my tongue. It's weird. I don't say... I can't get his... If I can't get his name, I just say in a world, and then it comes out. In a world. (laughs) They were looking the wrong way. (laughs) Remember we uh, we went off on a tear about that? I don't even remember what the movie was. Titanic. It wasn't Titanic. It was uh, some horror movie with... uh, things coming out of the ground or out of the sea it was like we always thought the terror would come from above we were looking the wrong way maybe it was um independence day no the terror came from above trevor yeah in independence day oh yeah anyway we uh, we when we thought that trailer was so hilarious we went off on a terror about it like we we would just keep Doing things like he was making an omelet, <laughs> but he was doing it the wrong way. And then he just starts smashing <laughs> eggs on his wife's face. It's like he's frying an egg. <laughs> he was doing it the wrong way. I said that to Leisha today on, on on Facebook. I was making breakfast, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna go make some eggs right now. And then later on, she's like, How'd you do it? She's like, Were you still making breakfast? I was like, I was like, Well, yeah. Um, it's been an hour and a half. I don't know how you cook eggs. I was but, uh, like, I was like, yeah. Well, it's not, it hasn't been a half hour, but I was like, it's weird because all my eggs start out as being fucking sunny side up or over easy, and they end up <laughs> they being scrambled. <laughs> I'm good at eggs. I can even. You're good at uh, you know you you know your longest running uh, recipe is by the way of, of goodness is uh, grilled cheese. I actually. If I had made it home before you called me today and said that you were ready for the podcast, right? Uh, I was gonna go home and make a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, really? Yeah, I would like. I've got Kraft Singles in my fridge. I don't eat processed food for the most part, but I bought some Kraft Singles <laughs> just for some fucking grilled cheese. Because grilled cheese just isn't right with any other cheese. I disagree. I make. Uh, I mean, I, I. I'm not gonna. I. I did bring it up because obviously I know. And I remember when I learned that you make good grilled cheese too. Was your like your first night in your in your new apartment, your first apartment ever? Oh, that little efficiency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At seventeen seventy six, where I had the the banner for Independence Day in my window. 
to bring it back to you mentioning oh, wow. Independence yeah, Day. That's Independence true, Day. you did have that. But, um, yeah, so points. Was I making a point? I don't think I was. No points. Grilled cheese. Grilled cheese. That was when you made that grilled cheese. It was the first time I ever tasted your grilled cheese. And I was like, holy shit, dude. But I think the best cheese to use for grilled cheese is Velveeta. And you slice it your fucking self. Mm. I, I, can't, I can't get behind Velveeta in any way, shape, or form. Really? Why? Because it's not cheese. Well, it doesn't even claim true. to be cheese. That's true. It just says Velveeta. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. It's just some sort of orange cheese flavored plastic i guess i don't know what it is it's delicious is what it is um it's not as good as craft singles i mean if anyone knows the, the answer to that it's you so yeah i gotta side with you but um but you know you go to a restaurant and grilled cheese is on the menu you're like you know that actually sounds good i'm gonna get a grilled cheese sandwich and uh it's always bullshit they've always got to try to fucking frou-frou it up somehow it's like, oh, this is grilled cheese on Texas toast. Yeah. Or so, uh, so the, or, or like a brioche. I don't want grilled cheese on a fucking brioche. Yeah. Or a, or a loaf of French bread. That's not, like, you're fucking up the cheese to bread ratio, <laughs> y'all. You know, and also, if you're doing a French roll, how the fuck are you going to butter that? And grill it properly. You're you're, you're not. not. You're, you're, just, you're, you're just you're doing it wrong. The only way is two slices of fucking regular ass motherfucking sliced bread with butter, butter only. Butter on the bread, on both sides. Butter on both, not not both sides of each slice, but both sides of the sandwich on the outside. Mm-hmm. Two slices of grilled cheese. Throw it on a lightly buttered pan. Two slices of grilled cheese? Or two slices of cheese. Of, yeah. of Kraft Singles, preferably. Sometimes three, if you just need to take another one to, to right. peel it apart and cover the, the bread. And you do one side. You wait a minute. You flip it. You do the other side. And then when it's all nice and melty, you cut it in half, diagonally, and throw it on a plate. And this, this reminds me of that scene in Back to the Future where they made uh, grilled cheese. Oh, wait, no, they never did. They never did. That was, the, that was the cut scene. Ah. From Back to the Future 2, where she, where she puts the, uh, the cheese it in the hydrator. Oh, yeah. Hydrate <laughs> one more, please. Yeah. What, what would happen if you used the wrong hydrate level? Like the whole house turns into pizza. <laughs> like you get a lot more pizza, but it's just really sloppy and runny. Ah, you put your headphones down and my left ear went out. Your left ear or the sound in your left ear? That one. Is that any better? Yeah, it's, uh, it's better now. <laughs> you just hit it hard enough and it goes back. All right. So where are we in this Back to the Future world? Okay. So when we left off, uh, Marty had uh, gone to the uh, nuclear test site in Nevada. That's right. Uh, I guess they overshot and went to the border of Utah, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, look, locations issue. They went back a bit to, to Nevada, um, went to the nuclear test site, um, and they were able to break in, if you recall, because Doc owned a great forgery machine uh, of the time <laughs> called a typewriter. <laughs> Just typed up like, these guys are allowed to bring a refrigerator to the test site. <laughs> 
And he had like a stamp or something. Yeah, and then a colonel's like, what's going on with that truck out there driving toward our nuclear uh, bomb? It's someone's probably like, okay. Someone's like, they're delivering a refrigerator to the test site. And he's like, okay. Oh, not a, no, he goes, not another refrigerator to blow up for these guys. No, he said, how many refrigerators do we need to blow up? <laughs> as many as is convenient for the plot. As Until they figure out that Indiana Jones will survive in one. Yeah, exactly. Um, God damn it, Mike. What's the matter? That left keeps popping out. Okay. Uh, oh, you had it, and then you and then you fucked it up. Okay, there we go. I think that's got it. <laughs> that's got her. Uh, you're fucking ghetto rigged old ass shit. <laughs> um, stop coming in the sliders, please. Okay, fine. I know you got this new monitor, and you probably just when you watch your porn, it just I mean, shoots a load straight over. It's not even that. It's those sliders are the only thing my dick fits in. <laughs> <laughs> that really doesn't work if you're if you don't know anything about audio equipment. But anyway, anyway, Marty is uh, at the nuclear test site. Doc scarpered off because only one person fits in a fridge. And and oh, let's not forget that Marty has um, decided that there's absolutely no way Marty's from really 1952 dumb in this one. that he can he can warn Doc about the future. Now, of, yeah. of course, in, in the we made fun of him a lot, but he made that decision because Doc flat out asked him, and he's like, "Some doors you can't open." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should read him like let's just like, like that old man Sam I used to work with. Just keep just to remind, just remember, folks. This Marty is really, really dumb. Marty McDumb. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, we left off. As a bunch of techs, tech one, tech two, tech three, tech four, right. were uh, basically arming the bomb, getting ready to blow it up because um, the colonel saw Doc leave on a motorcycle with a mannequin uh, in the sidecar. And the mannequin had Marty's jacket on that has two Coca Colas in the pockets. And Marty doesn't know that the mannequin has his jacket, and for some reason that's important. Yeah, we don't know why. We yet. don't know why, but it made a point of saying that Marty has not noticed this. So, uh, I think that's going to call back to the rule of don't show a gun in Act 1 if you don't use it in Act 3. There you go. Act 2 apparently doesn't count. So, if where you use, are we? If you use the gun from Act 1 in Act 2... You've you've blown your load too early, I guess. Now, are we in exterior artillery bunker? Yes, that is where we'll be starting. <laughs> exterior artillery bunker. Captain Teague is passing out sunglasses to his troops and to the civilian spectators. You are here to witness one of the most spectacular sights in the history of man. It is really quite beautiful. There will be an intense white fireball that will recede into a bright yellow glow... Accompanied by an intense shockwave. Exterior. Test site gate. MPs. At the gate, the MPs are monitoring the countdown on their radios. T-minus seven minutes. Seven minutes until detonation. Professor Brown roars toward the gate on his motorcycle. 
the MP who lets him in opens the gate and waves him through, never noticing the mannequin in the sidecar. <laughs> That's exactly how it's written, guys. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. Brown waves back, never even slowing down. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> the, the Doppler. I know. The, it's, it's the it's the Doppler effect. Oh. Fuck you for that, by the way. <laughs> Just fuck you. <laughs> the Doppler effect. Did you know Doc and I get Doppler it, I get it, but his name's Professor in this, as you've uh, you've chastised me often for. He's always Doc. He is Doc. So Just why? not when we're reading it. Oh, for Christ's sake. Okay. Uh, never even saw him. Interior, tract house, living room. Marty. Oh, yeah, Marty's uh, touring this house that's going to get blown up. And has no idea what happened to his coke. (laughs) He's like Scarface. He's running around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering what this movie would be like if it would actually been filmed. And would we love it so much? (laughs) I don't think so. No. no. I'm thinking of movies that this reminds me of that I've like long forgotten like this is like, like everything from the 80s. Like this like is like Mac and me. Like Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. <laughs> Mac and me. Holy shit. I need to watch that again. I haven't watched that since I was a kid. You know, to get way off on a tangent, there was a, you know where the Borders was in Sarasota? Borders books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, way back in that same spot, when I was a kid, uh, it was a, a store called Farmore. P-H-A-R. It was a pharmacy? Uh, it was way more than a pharmacy. It was more than just a pharmacy. Far uh, more. Yeah, more. See, exactly. It was P-H-A-R hyphen M-O-R. I remember, yeah. And uh, I don't remember what they had there. I, I, I don't know if it was like a TJ Maxx sort of feel or if it was a grocery store. All I remember is in the back, they had a movie rental section. And I remember that's where we would rent our movies when I was a kid. And... Uh, I remember like this was 1985, pretty much, like when Back to the Future came out. And um, Mac rem- and Me is that ET knockoff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, with a little pot belly, and a little f- that creepy ass looking thing. Um, I, I rented that from Farmore, which is what made me think of this. And I remember every time I went there, I saw what I thought must be the most hilarious movie ever. Which was it was what? it was in the horror section. It was called Chopping Mall. Did you ever get to see it? I didn't. We gotta watch Chopping Mall. <laughs> we should check Netflix. That, that needs to be our first, like, fucking rent riff and review. Sure. Should be Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall. I have to. Dude, that's a great title. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a, absolutely. Even as a little kid, I was like, Chopping Mall. That's a I get it. Fucking great title. That is like <laughs> 80s fucking horror. I mean, what's more horrific and in, in the 80s than the Shopping Mall fucking craze? Yeah, right? Jesus, we gotta watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Keanu. <laughs> oh, Keanu, we gotta go. Yeah, see we gotta that. see Keanu this week. Okay, so um, I'm sorry. Let me. Hey, do. if I don't work tomorrow, let's go watch Keanu, and then come do Ted. Okay, we gotta get back to the music and the sound effects. Um, interior tract house living room. Marty. Marty is watching TV as he takes off his fatigues. Under them are his 1982 clothes. Handy. He checks the time on the walkie-talkie. Checks the time on the walkie-talkie. What is this fucking from the future? This walkie-talkie? Yeah, really. I don't remember ever seeing a clock time on a walkie-talkie. I've never seen a clock on a walkie-talkie before. 
oh, oh, no, no. It's just the person that's counting down happens to say the time at that point. Oh. Oh, oh, he switches over to the other channel. The army's on one channel and right. Professor Brown's on the other. And you're doing the control voice. Yeah. T minus six seconds. <laughs> six seconds. <laughs> oh, shit! Just T thought we'd tell you. <laughs> T minus six minutes and counting. <laughs> Exterior, desert road. Professor Brown speeds along a dirt road on his motorcycle, up a hill into the mountains. At a suitable point, he cuts off the road and parks in a break in the hills. He gets off his bike, raises his binoculars, and gazes off into the distance. <laughs> I remember when this was all farmland as far as I could see. Brown's POV through binoculars of the test site, including the track domes and the tower. Professor Brown grabs his walkie-talkie. Five minutes and counting. He flips channels. Calling Marty! Do you read me? A moment's pause, then the response. I read you, Professor! Now you gotta do it on the... the... I read you, Professor! Is everything set? Have you put the formula in the power converter? I'm on my way to do that right now! Oh, fuck. Part of the formula is is Coca-Cola, right? Oh, remember that's that? Remember? What it is. You know why I remember that? And I swear this is the fucking truth. Sixth, either sixth or seventh grade, me and this kid named uh, Mike Shapiro, this is the height of my hoverboard craze, you know? We tried to make a time travel movie where I, I basically DeLoreaned my bike and, uh, you know, put a whole bunch of stuff hanging off of it and shit. And, uh, oh man, I wish I see. I wish I could see that video. I don't think we ever shot anything. I wish I could see that bike. But um, it was my bike. It was that bike. It was that blue and white bike that I had for fucking years. But anyway, I've never seen you on a bicycle in my life. No one has. Um, but anyway, the the point was is that <laughs> you just had it. I, I never even sat on it. It's weird. <laughs> no, you know what? We did shoot. We did shoot the first scene of the movie where he comes over and I tell him about the the time traveling bike. And in the, you know, we never record, we never made a script or anything. So it was a lot of just setting the camera up and deciding what we were going to say in the scene and what was going to happen. And then we improvised. And I improvised that the formula was Coca-Cola. Hmm. So that's why I always remembered it when I did eventually hear that in the original script they were using Coca-Cola. Okay. So the big deal here is that Marty needs the Coke for the... uh for the formula for the time machine to work. Right. So he's got a big problem right now because Doc's got the Coke. Except in the previous scene, Marty opened the fridge, saw that it was fully stocked, grabbed an apple out of it, and it said specifically that there was Coke in the fridge. I don't, I don't follow you. Marty doesn't have Coke, right? Because he put the Cokes in his jacket. Right. And, and now the issue is going to be that he doesn't have the Cokes because... Doc has the jacket. But Doc needs the Coke in order to make the time machine run, doesn't he? No. Marty's got the time machine oh, and that's everything. that's right, 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 right. Yes. You're a good point, good point. So Marty's in this fake home, and he opens the fridge. I'll go back to it. Uh, uh, discovers it is well-stocked with food, including meat, cheese, milk, eggs, Coke, fruit, and vegetables. That's good. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, Marty enters and goes to the cab. Of the truck. I reach professor. Is everything so... Uh, oh, we do that now. Exterior, tracked home, garage. Marty enters and goes to the cab of the truck to get his jacket. Of course, it's gone. Of course. Marty is shocked. 
He checks the floor of the truck. Under the seat. Nothing. Marty climbs into the back of the truck and looks around. Not there either. Panic fills his eyes as he grabs the walkie-talkie. Professor! I can't find the formula! I left it in my jacket! My jacket's gone! Exterior, Professor Brown's vantage point. Brown turns and looks at the motorcycle. Marty's jacket is on the mannequin. Oh my god! (laughs) Interior, detonation control. OMG, Marty, OMG! Detonation control is, is a flurry of activity. T-minus three minutes, 30 seconds. Release safety switches. First safety. Tech number two flips a switch. First safety released. Tech number three flips his switch. First safety released. Exterior, Professor Brown's vantage point. A distraught Professor Brown. That's that's this one. <laughs> that's a visual joke just for me, folks. <laughs> yep. uh, calls instructions onto his walkie-talkie. Marty, it's over. Do you understand? It's over. Now I want you to get in the refrigerator, the time chamber, and we'll just pray that the lead, that the lead lining. I almost said lead lining. Sorry. And we'll just pray that the lead lining. Injure cut with Marty in the garage. Marty interrupts with an idea. The refrigerator. Hang on, Professor. Marty runs back into the house. Professor Brown doesn't know what to think. Okay, I know what to think. <laughs> I think that instead of really mining this situation for the most amount of drama that you can get out of someone sitting around waiting for a bomb to go off <laughs> yeah, and having to somehow reconnect Marty and Doc to get that Coca-Cola that they're just like, let's just put some in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. So, so we go from you the emergency see. situation of like, how is... Doc gonna get that fucking coke to Marty to Marty's like oh hold on I'll go in the other room boom boom boom, boom. <laughs> yeah it's a, it is kind of a little too easy like logical just like I was put it in yeah I thought I thought the coke being in that fridge you know I, I, I made a big deal out of going back and reading the description of what was in the fridge uh, I thought that that was gonna be an error that they were like they're just used to typing oh when the stuff's in a fridge there's gonna Apparently be coke but, Apparently uh, they've done this before. But no, um, well, I mean, I wish that it was an error. I wish that there was some big last-minute issue where Doc and Marty had to come together and get the coke, and, right. and Doc still has to ex- escape like, a like nuclear the movie blast. did. Yeah, yeah, like he has to go back in, get past those guards somehow. Like, oh, I forgot to drop off the keys to the refrigerator or something. <laughs> the keys to the refrigerator, <laughs> and then and then you know has to get the coke to Marty, and then and then escape again before the nuke goes off and and oh God, i'm just thinking about it and i'm getting like oh that's that's got some fucking excitement to it that's, and they're yeah. like let me go to the fridge <laughs> there's no fucking like urgency yeah. to like, it at all because because like you can see like oh my god oh my god oh my god and then <laughs> and that's that's it. So let's let's move on. Okay. Professor Brown doesn't know what to think. Interior, house, kitchen. Marty runs to the refrigerator and opens it. Sure enough, there are several bottles of Coke here. Marty only brought two initially. There are several here. Everything is great. <laughs> Marty is elated. Marty into walkie-talkie. Don't worry about a thing. There's plenty of formula in the refrigerator. Professor Brown is even more puzzled. The refrigerator. He throws a curious glance at Marty's jacket on the mannequin. T minus two minutes, 50 seconds. Interior, garage. Marty climbs up on the cab of the truck to the power converter. 
He's got two bottles of coke. He tries to twist the top off a bottle. Of course, he can't. There's nothing else to do. He smashes the top against the edge of the cab. Marty pours coke into the power converter. Interior. So... What made him think to do that? Remember, you can't get the top off. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. There are no twist caps. That's right. But the time machine is built into a refrigerator. It's probably got a thing right there. Yeah, they those, have... Those old refrigerators? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet that was a selling point. I bet at some point there was there was yeah. one of those old full page ads for a frigid air <laughs> in a magazine, and they were and like, "And you, you know, you now with a built in bottle opener." Yeah, like, oh my god! So Junior can pop his pop. Henry, we have got to get this new refrigerator. We just have to look at this. Look at this. Can you imagine? You don't have to walk over to a drawer anymore to open what? your bottle of Coke. I swear, Agnes, it's crazy. <laughs> I love Henry and Agnes. <laughs> we need to write a sketch for them for Jet Boots. Um, <laughs> she's just always blown away by the simplest little features of things. And he just wants to kill her. Look at this cup. It has a handle. That's great, Agnes. I can pick up my tea without feeling the warmth in my hands. You know what's great is this handle on this gun. You just put it right on in your mouth and pull the trigger. You, you don't have to light a flintlock anymore. You can just pull on a little trigger and kill me? That's right. That is so amazing. Agnes, I'm telling you because I love you. <laughs> I'm glad we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to remember it. Yay. <laughs> no one will ever remember it anyway. <laughs> so, so, uh... <laughs> So basically, we're intercutting with Doc, and Doc, the professor, he's just going, huh? <laughs> and he looks at the jack, and he's like, huh? And Marty's just going about his thing. He's like, I got this. And Doc's just like, huh? And he's, he's like, for someone who's as dumb as he is in this script, he did that with the confidence of a serial killer. Yeah. Just, just be like, yep, yeah, you know what? Here's where it goes. Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> Uh, interior, uh, oh, um, detonation control. Coke. Uh, oh, yeah. Detonation control. T minus two, two minutes, minutes, 40 seconds. Release second, in, I'm sorry, release second safety. Tech two, flip switch. Second safety released. Tech three, flip switch. Second safety released. <laughs> Exterior, garage. Marty revs up the truck and guns it out of the driveway. My he Colonel heads Norton. for ground zero. My Colonel Nordle. Yes. I'm. You're pretty much everybody but Marty, except for like I little random. Hate characters. that name, Colonel Nordle. Yeah, it's hard to say, right? It's literally a name that exists on paper. It's like the rural juror. <laughs> the rural, yeah, the rural juror. <laughs> <laughs> Exterior garage. Oh, I already did that. Exterior Colonel artillery Nordle. bunker. <laughs> the rural juror is looking toward the <laughs> bomb site with his field glasses. <laughs> Rural drawers POV through binocs. <laughs> You're calling him that the whole way through? <laughs> Why not? All right, fuck it. Um, of Marty's truck racing toward the bomb site. Back to shot. Nordell is shocked. Jesus, what's that truck doing out there? Captain Teague and Lieutenant Glass raise their own binoculars for a look. He's heading straight for the bomb. He's got a commie spy trying to sabotage the test. He's got to be a commie spy. Got, oh, sorry, that's... He, I, he I, hasn't I, got a commie spy I with I him. I didn't realize why that fucking hyphen was in there until just now. He's got to be a commie spy trying to sabotage the test. 
Captain, get your men on this artillery and blow that truck to kingdom come. Oh, they hadn't considered that. <laughs> it's a good thing you're here, boss. <laughs> and no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, the professor hadn't considered that. Oh. At no point did he think they might see us. <laughs> they might. Well, he said they might see you, but it'll be too late for them to stop you. At no point did he think, you know, it might take a while. They might shoot you with a giant gun. Before, yeah. <laughs> Timing is of the essence. Let's go to where a lot of people can see us and want us dead, and have the artillery to kill us. Uh, blow that truck to kingdom come. Captain Teague turns to his men. Men, get on this artillery and blow that truck to kingdom come. Fire mission, let's move. Teague's men rush to the 105mm howitzers. Exterior, the test site. Marty drives the truck past the 1.3 mile marker. <gasps> Exterior, Marty has driven 0.2 miles. Wow. Is what they just said, basically. Exterior, artillery battery. Series of shots of gun breaches being opened. 105mm shells being loaded in. Breaches slamming shut. Howitzers being cranked around. Because it's 19... Oh, it's 1952. Yeah, that makes sense. Captain, give us some coordinates. I don't have any. We have to go fire... We'll have to fire direct. Exterior, test site. Marty drives past the one-mile marker. Exterior, artillery battery. The three howitzers are pointed roughly in the same direction. It says roughly. It does say roughly in the same direction. Fire! Exterior, test site. The shell explodes... So you forgot a cannon is fired or you made the noise. I made the noise, fine, Trevor. Fine, fine. A cannon is fired! Exterior, test site. You just wanted to do the noise! I don't have the noise. With your mouth. You took the noise from me, is what you did. I was actually... You're a, you're a prick and a liar, and I hope you die. I agree with those things, but I wasn't doing what you were saying. The shell explodes wide off to the shot of Marty, showering dirt and debris skywards. Jesus! Exterior, artillery battery. Captain Teague has seen the blast through his binoculars. Drop five elevation. Add eight deflection. The howitzer is cranked into position and fired. Interior, moving truck, Marty. Marty looks worried as he drives on. You <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the shell explodes ahead of it, and on the other side of the truck, <laughs> Marty is scared shitless now. He passes 1,400 yards. Exterior, Professor Brown's vantage. The professor is watching it all through his binoculars. Oh my god! Interior, donation con... Detonation control. I donation did it again. Control. Donation control. You know, that's the people behind Jerry Lewis with the phones. Wait, did we need gunshots? I guess we don't anymore. No. Interior, detonation control. One minute, 15 seconds. Release final safety. Final safety released. Final safety released. Exterior, artillery battery. Sergeant Gunther realigns the howitzer. Oh. What? Oh. Sergeant Gunther. Where? Oh, drop to elevation, minus three deflection. The cannon is fired again. Exterior bomb site, Marty's truck. The shell explodes several yards behind the truck, but right in line with it. Interior, moving truck, Marty. Marty looks behind him and shudders at how close the last one came. Just ahead of him is the 800-mile, 800-yard marker. Marty parks and checks the army channel on his walkie-talkie. Exactly one minute till detonation. They're not shooting at him right now. Oh. (laughs) 
Exactly one minute till detonation. 59. 58. Exterior. Artillery bunker. Colonel Lordell lowers his binoculars, binox, and calls to Captain Teague. He stopped, Captain. Right at the 800-yard marker. Well, get him for sure this time. Add one and a half elevation. Interior truck, Marty. Marty is listening to the countdown. 53. 52. Hurry up! He opens the door of the truck. Exterior, Professor Brown's vantage point. Brown is watching with binoculars. He screams into his walkie-talkie. Move the truck! They're gonna draw a head on you! A bead on you! What is a... Oh. I I got you, right? Move the truck! They're gonna draw a bead on you! Exterior, artillery battery. Sergeant Gunther makes the final adjustment. I got a bead on him. Ooh, how prescient. Yes. Exterior, bombsite, truck. Marty is starting to climb into the back of the truck. He's on the walkie... On the wrong walkie-talkie channel. 47... 46. Now Marty is about to talk into it. He flips channels. Back up! Back up! They're drawing a beat on you! Back up! Marty moves faster than he's ever moved as he rushes back into the cab. Exterior artillery battery. Fire! Sergeant Gunther yanks the trigger pull. The cannon erupts with tremendous boom. Interior truck, Marty. Marty revs up the truck, shifts into reverse and floors it. Through the windshield, we see a huge explosion, which wipes out the 100-yard marker. The shockwave rocks the truck. Exterior, bomb sight. The smoke clears, revealing a large crater at 800 yards. Marty's truck is a safe distance away. Exterior, artillery bunker. T-minus 30 seconds. Everybody into the bunker! Take cover! Now! Captain Teague and his men leave their artillery posts and head for shelter. Yeah, you know... Hold on a second. Pause the music. They have a commie spy driving <laughs> into a nuclear bomb blast. And they're like, we should shoot him. He's driving into a nuclear bomb blast. Maybe not shoot directly into the nuclear bomb blast. It doesn't blast. matter what you're shooting. What are the chances that this guy that you think is a commie spy is getting out of there with any secrets? He's driving at the nuke. Yeah. I mean... You're just wasting ammunition at this point. Like, if you think that guy's a threat, you know, oh, look, a spy. Well, oh, let him fucking try. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Play the music. Captain Teague and his men leave their artillery posts and head for shelter. Interior, truck, Marty. Marty can't get the truck started. Well, just like the DeLorean. He's white with fear as the engine refuses to turn over. 24. 23. 22. Exterior, Professor Brown's vantage. The professor is watching through the binoculars. Come on! Come on, Marty, come on! 20. 19. Damn, damn! (laughs) Finally, it starts. Marty heaves a sigh of relief then aims for the crater some 100 yards away. 14, 13, 12. Marty jams his walkie-talkie against the accelerator, and the truck lurches forward. He opens the door and climbs out of the moving truck. Exterior, moving truck. The truck barrels toward the cra- along toward the crater as Marty climbs into the back of the truck and throws the switches on the time machine. Nine, 
eight, seven. The truck hits the crater. Marty is thrown from his feet into the bed of the truck. Handy. The truck lodges into the hole with the nose slightly off kilter from the tower. <gasps> Marty climbs to his feet and turns the solar cell back toward the bomb. Five. Four. Three. Marty opens the refrigerator door and climbs in. Two. One. Marty slams the refrigerator door shut. Interior. Detonation control. Detonate! Three technicians turn their detonation keys in unison. Exterior. Bomb site. Detonation! An incredible... An incredible fireball whites out everything for a moment, then recedes into a yellow glow. Hey, just like that guy said. Yeah. Exterior. Truck. Brilliant light strikes the power converter. Interior. Time chamber. Marty. Turns out the light doesn't stay on when you close the door, so this is very boring. Marty looks up as an intense white beam shoots down from the focusing lens above him. Exterior. Bomb sight and truck. The yellow glow turns everything around it yellow. Yeah. The tower is non-existent now, and the truck begins to melt before our eyes. Interior. Command bunker. The army officers... <laughs> the army officers, their men, and the civ- That means we're out of plutonium, right? Yeah, they are now, because they just used it. The army officers, their men, and the civilians observe... And the civilian observers marvel at the incredible sight before them. The mushroom cloud has formed, billowing thousands of feet into the air. Cut to exterior. Professor Brown's vantage. He gets radiation poisoning and dies in 1952. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Brown turns his attention away from the mushroom cloud in the background to the mannequin sitting in the sidecar. He notices that there is a bulge in one of the pockets. <gasps> he stares at it, thinking, wondering, trying to make up his mind. It's just a Coke, Doc. I mean... <laughs> Are you thirsty or not? That's your choice. By the way, the, the name of this song is called The Letter. Oh. Exterior. The Nevada Desert. High noon. All is quiet on the desert. No mushroom cloud. No sign of life. Just the desert. A moment of quiet. Then we noticed a shifting of sand. As if something was pushing up from below. Something is pushing up from below. <laughs> The door of a refrigerator with the word Philco on it. The door is partially melted, partially rotted, very worn down and aged. And now Marty climbs out of the refrigerator cavity. Of course, he looks as the same he did a moment ago. He looks at the remains of the refrigerator and then notices the twisted metal hulk of the truck half buried nearby. He looks around and sees nothing but desert. Oh man, what if he went through all that and then just dies of heat stroke yeah. trying to walk out of the desert. <laughs> trying to get back to Hill Valley. He looks at his watch. Noon. He looks up at the sun. Shit. Marty wanders around aimlessly for a bit. Not sure which way to go. West? <laughs> now he becomes aware of low noise. A noise coming from above. A noise like the rotors of a helicopter. The noise becomes steadily louder. Marty looks up. There's an aircraft up there, and it's descending. It's hard to see against the glare of the sun, 
and as it gets lower, it blows sand all over the place. Marty averts his eyes. On Marty, as the helicopter noise ceases, he turns his head, and there in front of him is Professor Brown's Aeromobile. Holy crap. It has the shape of a 1950s car, but has three white walls, propellers, and stabilizing fins. Three white walls? Where's the where's the fourth? You have four tires there. Oh, I guess it's got it's not a car, it's it's got like two rears and one in the front, like George Jetson's car. Uh so Doc just shows up, it's not like he came back for in time or something like with the end of Back to the Future Three. He just no. shows up in this flying thing. No, he just knows where he sent him. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Professor Brown is in the driver's seat. On the rear deck of the craft is a power converter. Marty is speechless. Professor Brown hops out of the aeromobile. He's 30 years older than when we last saw him. Marty! Sorry. But he seems a little different from the eccentric professor we knew earlier. He's not brittle and old, but energetic, energetic and lively. He's a man who's got the world on a string. Marty! You're here, right on time. How are you? Feeling okay? What year is this? 1982, March 18, just like we planned. My calculations were absolutely correct. 30 years. God, I cannot believe it's been 30 years. Sure, it was a long time ago. Longest I've ever had to wait for the results of an experiment. (laughs) And you're alive, Professor? You weren't shot? Shot? Who'd want to shoot me? I've never felt better in my life. Marty doesn't know what to say or do. He just stands there, staring. (laughs) Hop in, Marty. We've got a long drive ahead of us. Marty cautiously approaches the passenger door. What do you call this? A car. (laughs) They both get in the car. Interior. Aeromobile. Marty. Professor Brown. The controls and the dashboard are in the streamlined modern style of the late 40s futurism. Professor Brown pulls a 16-ounce Coke b- a bottle of Coke out from under his seat. The same style Coke bottle we've always had, except he uses a bottle opener to pop the cap. He pulls open a compartment in the dashboard labeled Fuel and sticks the bottle in a funnel inside. Mr. Fusion. Mm-hmm. Marty watches this and realizes what must have happened. Professor, you peaked, didn't you? Yeah, well, I figured, what the hell? So, at this point I'm thinking, we have flying cars, we have coke-powered fusion, we don't have twist-off caps. Like, <laughs> just, technology's taken a weird turn. Exterior, Nevada desert. We hear the sound of whirring turbines and machinery as the car lifts vertically off the desert floor and flies off into the sky. That's actually the sound. But, but that's that's a time machine going through time. This is just flying. Shut up. Professor Brown has been answering questions. Out the window, we see only blue sky and Interior clouds. Interior moving aeromobile later. You forgot that part. Oh, sorry. Interior moving aeromobile later. Professor Brown has been answering questions. Out the window, we see only blue sky and clouds. I don't get what's up with all the questions. <laughs> I mean, isn't this the exact 1982 that you left? You see, I never rebuilt the time machine after it was destroyed in 1952. I decided that experimenting with time and possibly changing history was too risky. Anyway, experiments in time travel were banned in all in all 87 states after the governor of Cuba caught Dr. Feldstein fooling around in the Bermuda Triangle. 
I was back in 64. But if you didn't rebuild the time machine, how do they go back in time in the first place? According to your girlfriend, Susie Parker, you and she were at the movies. You went to the restroom and you never came out. Obviously, you stepped through an interdimensional time warp. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Created by the original operation of the time machine. Obviously. But I told everyone your disappearance was due to a teleportation experiment you were helping me with. So don't mention anything about time travel to anyone. What theater was I at? The Orpheum. Marty smiles. It's all sort of making sense to him now. He glances out the window. So, so time hasn't actually progressed from the 50s. It's just become what the 50s thought the 80s were going to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Marty's POV of a city. Clean. Modern. Or rather, modern. The sparkling image of the city of the future. Complete with... Oh, that's exactly what I just said. Complete with streamlined skyscrapers and flying cars. The city is a long way down. On Marty and the Professor... Marty is very impressed. Wow, look at that city! Pretty, isn't it? It's the most beautiful city I've ever seen. What is it? That's Cleveland! Exterior, the McFly home, night. The same house Marty has always lived in, except it's been streamlined. The corners have been rounded to decrease wind resistance, and on the roof is a large power converter. In the driveway is another aeromobile. Professor Brown's aeromobile descends and lands on the street in front of the house. In, in the background are other streamlined flying cars, buses, and trucks. Interior, Brown's aeromobile. Marty Brown. Go on in. I'll be with you as soon as I adjust the, this blasted flow capacitor. Exterior, McFly home, night. I'm not going to say anything about that. As Marty gets out of the professor's aeromobile and approaches his house... Marty looks at his house, takes a deep breath, and walks up to the front door. He rings the doorbell. The front door is answered by a <gasps> robot. What? A robot? It's the mechanical man, not unlike Professor, Professor Brown's mechanical home butler. The robot speaks in an electronic monotone. Greetings, Master Martin. Let me take your coat. Right. Marty hands the robot his Porsche jacket and steps into the house. Interior, McFly home, night. He seems to be pretty much... It seems to be pretty much the way it was when Marty left in 1982. His mother rushes excitedly toward him. Marty, you're back! I'm so glad to see you. She gives him a hug, then notices his boner. (laughs) (laughs) Clothes. Then notices his clothes. Where did you get these silly clothes? Sparky... Oh, to the robot. Sparky, get Marty some clean clothes. Yes, madam. Sparky scurries off. Your father's in the study. Say hello to him. Marty nods and walks down the hall. Interior hall. There are several display cases along the wall, and Marty has a look. In one is a pair of boxing gloves and a plaque. McFly Liston fight. Madison Square Garden, 1966. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Against Sonny Liston, apparently. Yeah. Because it's not enough that you fucked up Chuck Berry's life. At Madison Square Garden. Yeah. In the next, a silver boxing champion's belt engraved with George M. McFly, world middleweight champion, 1963. And in another, a framed magazine with a picture of George McFly holding a very strange device. The champ gives... The champ gives tooth decay the one-two punch with Sunodent Ultrasonic Tooth Care System by E. Brown Enterprises. Collaboration. Marty is amazed. He cautiously enters his father's study. 
times. <laughs> Interior, study. George McFly looks up from his desk. He's a much different George McFly than we saw before. In better shape, more extroverted, more self-assured. After all, he was the middleweight champion of the world. Welcome home, son! That's my line. I know, I just wanted to say it that way. Welcome home, son! Welcome home, son. Professor told us what happened with the experiment. That there might be some side effects, lapses of memory. Your whole world's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marty approaches... The, I love that 1982 can have changed this much, but the same exact... House. The same exact sperm yeah. went into the same exact egg at the same exact time to create the same exact Marty. That was the other thing, too, in the, in the other ones where it was like, he's supposed to be this fucking world-renowned, you know, sci-fi author when he comes back. But they're still in the same little fucking house that they were when their lives were shitty. He just has more money now. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what world-renowned is. But I have a feeling that, and like... I felt like... I felt... I got the impression that that was his book um like the first copies of his first book finally arriving oh you know what that's right so he had done something you know honorable for like 20 or 20 years or so what to have kids and then right as all the kids are getting ready to leave he starts pursuing his dream of being yeah i like that better now you made you actually improved the movie for me now Boom. score um, Welcome home, son. Oh, um, Marty approaches to get a better look at the man who looks like the father he remembers, but isn't. Your mom's got one heck of a dinner plan tonight. She's been pushing buttons all day. <laughs> what the fuck? Tex so, Avery's so coming. Why, why is he a cornball now? He's supposed to be better in the future. No, she's been pushing buttons all day because that's oh, yeah. the way Tex you'll get all your... The, the kitchen of the future. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> he watched a some sort of... Oh no! It was in school. Now, when in uh, school, the teacher was like, "Oh yeah, one day your 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 mom will get everything done by push, or your wife will get everything done by pushing buttons." That's right. Now, Crispin Glover, when he was on um, Opie and Anthony talking he, about, he hated this. Like, change. he didn't hate it, but he he felt like just because he asked questions, he kind of got you know an, an unpopular vote in the next movie. But uh, he says in there that. Some, you know, at, at some level, some version of the script that he did, that he read before they actually shot, it wasn't Biff who was coming in and like, you know, cleaning the car and bringing in the book and being the subservient role. He hinted that it may have, he, what he basically said was, it would not fly today at all. It wouldn't hold, the movie would be thought of as something bad, you know, um, which implies black people we have three pages left of this script i am hoping for some slaves in this fucking kitchen or something <laughs> like goldie wilson comes in like, aren't you supposed to be the mayor and he's like a colored mayor that'll be the day <laughs> he says exactly all the shit that the cafe guy said <laughs> it is Reagan's future after all. <laughs> Goldie's in there just like scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. He just went, and then it, I guess it is kind of obvious because he's like the only, with the exception of Marvin Berry and the Starlighters, he's yeah. the only black guy in the whole fucking thing. So, uh, <laughs> um, actually, this whole like alternate future or alternate present 
where Marty has a completely different set of experiences for the entirety of his life than the rest of his family has. Right. Like, that whole idea was what really resonated with Eric Stoltz, and he just couldn't fucking move past it. Really? And, yeah, and he just, he was playing the role with that in mind, and it was just like putting a whole bummer of a pall on the whole thing. It was part of the reason he got fired. Yeah, because it wasn't that kind of movie. It wasn't yeah, where... He, he wasn't playing it light. Right. You know? Yeah, I've seen the footage where you, you're watching him, and you're like, dude... He literally does stick out like a sore thumb because everyone around him is playing it the same way that they do in the final movie. Yeah. And he's just like this fucking yeah. serious... And, and that was the reason. He couldn't get over the the ending that ended up on screen. Where Maybe just... that's why they were so mad at Crisp and Glover because if it's the end scene for him, they get all this way, they finally fucking... They reshoot it, and now here's another actor who's got a fucking problem with the end of the movie. Well... I'm just guessing. I'm theorizing. Crispin's <clears throat> Crispin's problem was with the uh, the, the, monetary. Mon- the monetary thing. Yeah. Like, oh, they have more money, so everything's better, and his life is happier right. yeah. because of material gain. Um, but you know, I, I I argue against that. I say, no, not because of material gain. That's that's a nice side effect. Sure, he's got the truck he always wanted, and you know their houses and all run down and shit. But really, the core of it is. George has confidence, and George has pursued his dreams and his interests, yeah. and is therefore happier because of that. And the easiest, the, I mean, it's not that it's easy or hard, but it's so much easier to show, you know, the, it's the art of, the film is show rather than tell. It's so much easier to show that because you apply what's in your heart and your passions, you're getting some kind of immediate physical reward. And there's two things going on there. One is the physical, the money stuff that he's talking about. The other thing is, and he, I never heard him mention this, but Lorraine especially, but him too, looks way better than they did in the original 85. Yeah. Lorraine's a drunk. George has that greasy hair problem and stuff, you know? Like yeah. he, and it's, it's all the root of George's confidence. Yeah. George gets confidence by knocking out Biff. Um, Lorraine, Lorraine's confidence. Lorraine ends up with him either way, but as the man of the house, starting in the fifties, that well, they changed the whole basis of the of the reason for them falling in love, because as she says in at the dinner table, oh yeah, it, it was pity. She felt sorry for him, and now she's like, wow, look at that guy, because he saved me. You yeah, know? and so so Her rather whole reason than for loving, rather him. than like having to drink away the feelings that that she has because she realizes she married some fucking hapless it would be interesting to see gutless jellyfish it, it would be now, interesting now she he has the greater confidence and she has greater confidence because she's like wow look I married this confident go-getter fucking guy yeah and so they're both happier yeah they're not smoking and drinking themselves to death yeah and she feels more valuable because you know she she knows that she brings that out in him because that's what it started with. Was, so, how do I make Jin? Marty inadvertently <clears throat> sparked a moment that created a, a positive uh, ripple effect on yeah. George's life um, with him, with his own inner feelings and, and confidence, and that cascaded. And it wasn't always and positive, the, though. The money was a side effect. 
Yeah. When you're when you're confident and you can go out and demand that you get treated better at work, yeah. or that you'll fucking walk, yeah, like original timeline George would never have done that. This timeline, fuck yeah, he knocked out Biff fucking Tannen. Yeah, he doesn't worry about fucking asking for a raise from somebody. Yeah, so life is better. Boom. It's not. Get it's over not, it, it's not better for Biff though, because I always feel like you know, in in Back to the Future Two, Griff. Griff is the result of Biff being a terrible parent, you know. Grandparent. And grandparent. Well, no, bad parent. And then that goes to the Griff because he's a... He, Boss yells at keeps, you, you go home, right. you hit your kid, the kid kicks the cat. It, yeah. It's telephone for, for shitty emotions or whatever, you know, and just yeah. like... So, anyway, uh, we got two more pages left. Yeah, so let's get to the port. Let's, do let's it. get to the part where Doc's like, Oh, don't worry, Marty! We wiped out all the minorities! <laughs> 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 Marty, you've got to come back with me. It's your kids. They all have shaken baby syndrome. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that joke. Um, it's not mine. No, good. They're just steal jokes. No, I mean, I, it would. it's stealing if you don't tell people where you heard it. But anyway, uh, Marty um, notices a figure in the yard. Uh, are we there yet? Hold on. I'm sorry. Yeah, we are because oh, she's been pushing buttons all day. Marty notices a figure out in the yard through Wait, the window. I'm sorry, I don't have any fucking music here. We just ran out. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, Marty notices a figure out in the yard through the window. He has a closer look. It's Biff in a security guard uniform, sitting in a chair sleeping. Now George has a look too and opens the window. Hey, Biff, what are you doing? Sleeping on the job? Security guards are supposed to be alert. A very humble Biff replies. Yeah, yes, sir, Mr. McFly. What am I paying you 50 cents an hour for? <laughs> Holy shit. He's like, fuck you, Biff, forever touching my wife. I think more what they're doing is like, in this new future, inflation oh, doesn't exist. I got you. Which uh, really ignores the laws of economics because inflation and is inflation, a, yeah, in, inflation is a byproduct of a stronger economy. That's like outflation. Um, what am I paying you fifty cents an hour for? I'm sorry, champ. It won't happen again, sir. Biff begins patrolling the yard. George returns his own. Oh, George resumes his own unfinished business. He attaches a suction cup to his forehead, which is connected to a pen-like device by a wire and waves the pen over a blank check. Handwriting appears, accompanied by, an electro- by electronic beeps. It says, oh, pay to the order of the Coca-Cola company. <gasps> wow, that's weird. What are you doing, Dad? What's it look like I'm doing, son? I'm paying the fuel bill. It's over $2 this month. We really ought to try to cut down. See, no George sees that Marty is still staring in amazement. What's wrong, son? You act like you've never seen a writomatic before. Marty takes out his own big pen and examines it. Say, what do you got there? An antique pen? Let me see that. Takes it, examines it. Why, I haven't seen one of these in... Well, this is strange. How do you fill it with ink? George suddenly looks at Marty strangely. Does he remember this conversation happening 30 years ago? But then there's a knock at the door, and Eileen enters. Marty, there's someone out here to see you. Susie Parker enters. Her hairstyle is a little unusual, as are her clothes and her tits. Yeah. But she's certainly the same girl. Susie! Hi, Marty. 
What did you do to your hair? What did you do to yours? They both laugh. (laughs) I have no idea who you are. What is this all about? (laughs) (laughs) Now Professor Brown joins the group. Oh, he shows up? Yeah, I gotta get the docs showing up music. Marty! You've gotta come back with me! Trevor! Oh, it's not in the... Oh, sorry. Now Professor Brown joins the group, and George says... Hey, how's my favorite girl? Fine, Mr. McFly. Why don't you two get out of here? I'm sure you can find something better to do than watch me pay bills. Marty, you'd better change... You'd better change your clothes. You can't go to Mambo class looking like that. Mambo class? You mean people still do the Mambo? Sure. Everybody does the Mambo. Papa loves Mambo. Marty thinks a moment. Don't tell me you've never heard of rock and roll. Susie now directed a blank look at him. Rock and what? I've never heard of it either. Marty grins wildly. Widely. Widely. (laughs) Wildly. (laughs) (laughs) You've been holding that in for a few years, haven't you? (laughs) Don't look at that sign. That's my sign. It's a sign you're a nut job, Sean. (laughs) Marty grins, grins widely. Well, maybe it's time you did. They all exit, leaving George sitting at his desk. George is thinking about something. He opens a desk drawer and pulls out a scrapbook. Not an ordinary scrapbook, a hydraulic scrapbook. (gasps) That's weird. What? That is weird. (laughs) It says so right on the cover, along with the name of the manufacturer, E. Brown Enterprises. George plugs it in, and pneumatic cylinders begin automatically turning the pages. Wow, how fucking lazy. At a particular page, it stops. George stares at the newspaper clipping on the page. Insert clipping. A story with the headline... Police quell near riot at school dance, along with a photo of the dance that shows Marty on stage. George stares at the photo, then shakes his head. Nah, couldn't be. Insert photo. But it is. Roll end titles over news photo. Fade out. Yeah, guys. So that was it. That's the, uh, what version of that? Uh, Back to the Future is that? That is the first draft. And let's see the date on it. Oh, um, 24 February, 1981. Wow. Huey Lewis in the house. So, um, going from this draft of the screenplay, um, Back to the Future 2 would have been Encino Man, where Marty is the caveman that doesn't know about all the miraculous tech around him. Yeah. Uh, and then he invents rock and roll, because fuck black people. <laughs> and there wasn't any fuck you to black people in this version of the script. This wasn't the version that Crispin uh, Glover claimed to have, uh been so offended by I never heard anything about that that's, that's what he was saying on the Opie Anthony thing he kind of alluded to it he started to get into it then he just stopped and goes I, you know I'll just I'll, I'll tell it all in a book someday no he won't 
He might. I mean, shit. He would be able to. People would buy that. I would buy it. Oh, funny story about, about Crispin Glover. Um, you don't I, say. A funny story about Crispin Glover? Uh, a first-hand story. <clears throat> um, so I was working with a guy that looked just like Crispin Glover on my last show. And uh, I was like, people tell you you look like Crispin Glover, right? And he's like, oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, he goes, in, in fact, um, my wife used to work at... My wife looks like Leah Thompson. <laughs> My, my wife uh, used to work at a Gap in Los Angeles, and one day she was like, b- knelt down and she was folding up some some shirts or whatever, and uh, someone walks in and she she just glances over her shoulder real quick, and she goes, "What are you doing here? I thought you had to work today." And she hears, "Uh," and she turns around. And she goes, "Oh, you're not my husband." <laughs> and it was Crispin Glover. Oh wow! Crispin Glover had walked in, and she like glanced at him and thought it was her husband. <laughs> and Crispin Glover was like, "Is this the wrong timeline?" <laughs> <laughs> See, because he really is. Okay. Anyway, folks, uh, so that's it for uh, Back to the Future. Our uh, reading of Back to the Future. Oh man, that that alternate 1982 was severely fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but- so here's here's my understanding. Doc was able to make all the inventions he wanted successful. So he's essentially probably the richest person on the planet. Um, and he basically invented everything from the Tex Avery cartoons. Right. Say. Yeah. But. Other things didn't happen. So somehow, Doc inventing all that stuff meant that Chuck Berry never made rock and roll? Yeah, like, it just it didn't happen. No, he, nobody created rock and roll because of what happened in that one town in Hill Valley and that one dude inventing stuff. And he didn't. He never called Chuck, like, they never had the Marvin Berry, you know, thing with the phone. So well, Yeah, but see... From our perspective, we know that that scene is in a later draft. But if you just see this movie all on its own, you don't go, oh, he never called Chuck Berry. You're just like, for some reason, Chuck Berry never invented rock and roll. Like, there's no no amount of causality that could make that, that future happen. And, I mean... George as a world middleweight champion, that is really it's a, it's stretching stretch. plausibility. He's, it's almost like he was like, you know, I never punched before, but it's awesome. I, I want to do it before. always. He's like addicted to punching now. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, how can I do this all the fucking time? And he probably, he probably, there's probably another draft where he beats the shit out of Muhammad Ali. Because like, fuck black people. The McFlies are here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it said that he beat Sonny Liston. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so, that, yeah. I guess they decided that it wouldn't be believable <laughs> to have anybody beating Muhammad Ali. None of that was believable. And I'm glad that when they went 2015, it was uh, still more believable than this 1982. So, that's Back to the Future. Um, this yes. was this was part five. We didn't mention that at the top. Um, oh, that's right, yeah. But we get this one done in five episodes of Table Reads. So, um, 
I don't know what our schedule is on these moving forward, or even when this one's coming out. Um, but now that we've got this whole episode in the bag, I'm going to start posting them again. So, I think next week, let's do... Next time. It will be next week. Sure. I'm posting them weekly. We have enough of a back catalog that from this point I can do that. Um, let's start on the 2003 Superman-Batman movie that never was called Asylum. I'm down with it. And then I figure it'll probably be coming out on video right about the time we post it. What, Batman vs. Superman? Yeah. Okay. The the actual Batman vs. Superman. On video? Did you just say on video? <laughs> I did, because I'm stuck in 1982. <laughs> well... A real 1982, not the, this weird, hyper-weird one. Yeah, where they probably never invented video. Right. <laughs> There's probably still like, what's a rerun? <laughs> All right, let's get out of here, Sean. Good night, everybody. See you next week. This podcast was created by Sean McBee and produced by Ferris Wheelhouse. Fuck. <laughs>